The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Great to have even more folks back in the room this week as we wind down summer. Allow myself, uh, allow me to introduce myself. I'm Ryan Church, one of the guys on staff here at UMIN, one of the pastors here at UPC, and could not be more excited to get this year, uh, to get the school year started and to have this many people back. This is my favorite time of year. The, the weather is still great, praise God. We'll take the benefit on that. The leaves are, are, are holding on to the trees. Of course, people are moving back into the neighborhood. There's a buzz. There's, there's husky football that's happening. All these things are things that I just love about the, the fall season and, of course, getting, getting things kicked off. Uh, before I continue tonight, uh, a few things that I, I do want to highlight uh, when uh, Tim and Taylor were up here earlier, they talked uh, a little bit about core groups or at least alerted you to that. I want to give you an invitation uh, to sign up for a core group tonight. A core group is a weekly small group Bible study uh, that obviously meets together around the word, uh, but also checks in um, with each other. It's a chance to invest in other people's lives and and, uh, and have a, a weekly touch point. I know there's, I, I can look around the room here and know that there's several testimonies of how formative core group has been, uh, in, in college careers. So please, uh, hear that, that invitation. You get, you get a head start. Uh, you get, you get a, an opportunity to sign up for the best times for our, uh, what, uh, our core group conversations. Um, so please go uh, and sign up at the table following the inn tonight. And then, of course, next week, we are literally just going to blow the walls out of this place. And uh, we're going to turn up the volume a little bit and just welcome the neighborhood in uh, to, uh, to hear about the love of Christ. Uh, that's really what we're going to focus on through uh, the end of this month and, and throughout October. Uh, if that isn't enticing enough, uh, we're going to resurrect Taco Tuesdays. So feel free to, yes, uh, feel free to come back and join us next week at 8.30. We're going to have the university district's best tacos right on the other side of that wall. And, uh, and so come and bring a friend. Uh, we, we're, we're excited uh, to get things uh, kicked off next week. So, so come back. Uh, all right. Enough about next week. We're continuing this week. Let me start with a bit of a confession that I am one who lives firmly among the ranks of the addicted. Okay? Now, I'm not necessarily proud of the fact that it takes at least 12 ounces of coffee in the morning before I'm anywhere near a dynamic conversationalist, probably more like 20. I can often be a double dipper. And yes, I have my drink. It's a tall caramel sauce Americano, for those of you keeping score at home. And there was actually, there was actually a season of my life where the Tully's down here on the corner of, of 47th and the Ave, they actually, like, you could actually go in and say, yes, I'd like a, you know, grande Ryan Church. And you would get a caramel sauce Americano. They just knew it. That must have been back in my days when I was a little bit sexier, you know, when I was like the face of a drink. I've had kids. I've got married. The endorsement deal is gone. Too bad. 
And for those of you that are coffee drinkers like myself and sometimes partake in that coffee culture, you know, you know then that, that early in the morning there can be a lot of decisions to be made right off the, right off the bat. What size do you want? What kind of milk do you want? What kind of temperature uh, do you want to have this uh, at? Do you, want, do you want me to fill it all the way up to the top or leave a little bit of room? Oh, and by the way, do you want anything else with that? It's almost like you have to have a cup of coffee just to order a cup of coffee, right? Okay, I bring that up. Is that a big deal in and of itself? No, not really. But I do think it's an anecdote to something much bigger. And that anecdote is that over the the years of being a college pastor, and certainly, most definitely in my own experience, we live in a culture of incredible, incredible options. And it seems that making all these decisions, even decisions, say, that we have to make just to order a coffee, five, six of them, are wearing us out. Having all of these options perpetually has us in a place of non-commitment. We're always putting a ton of energy into keeping our options open. My guess is that if I asked you to reflect on if you've ever used that phrase, many of you would be able to to, uh, think about it's really not a question of if, it's when was the last time. I use that phrase that I just, you know, I'm, I'm keeping my options open. So tonight as we continue in this series that Janie and I have been doing over uh, the course of this month, where we've been exploring what are the things that stop us in our faith? What are the things that stop us in, in growing in our relationship with Jesus? And often it's those same things that keep us uh, in, from growing in our relationship with each other. And so it might seem a little bit weird to say this, but as we enter into this tonight, to a group of people who are incredibly gifted, by virtue of the fact that you are at a college ministry, that you are, you are getting a higher education, certainly it is not a scarcity of resources and opportunity that is stopping you. For much of the world, it is a scarcity that keeps people from from being able to live into the fullness of things. Rather, for us, it's the challenge of an abundance of opportunities and resources that can often paralyze us when we get stuck in that place of going, what's the right decision? Should I do this? Maybe. Should I do that? Maybe. Should I date this person? Maybe. Should I break up with this person? Maybe. It is that word that I kind of want to attack tonight. Maybe. Maybe. And now that you've all got Carly Ray's, you know, catchy hit in your head, let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we, need, we need your help. Uh, we need your help to understand your word. Uh, sometimes it is confusing and we don't know what to do with it. Um, so would you, would you help us out? Would you guide us uh, as we come to your word tonight that we might hear what you would want us to hear tonight uh, as we enter into a new uh, school year together? Uh, so Lord, earnestly, we ask that you would speak to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right. Uh, to, to help us out in our conversation tonight, we're going to look at the New Testament book of James. Now, James is, is probably most known for being what, what I might call the action manual of the, the New Testament. James is very famous for saying, faith without works is dead. Okay, so much so that, that the, the famous reformer Martin Luther, for those of you that have uh, either studied medieval history or grown up in the church, Martin Luther was this reformer, and he actually wanted James to be thrown out of the New Testament because it made such a big deal about the works, in his opinion, made such a big deal about the works of man instead of, instead of the works uh, of God. So it, for that reason, we sometimes like it because it can be very direct in saying, no, this is what you do um, in response to what God has done. Well, James is an in- interesting figure. While there's a, there's a lot of scholarship out there, I want to assert uh, to you with, with many others that James is the brother of Jesus. So as such, James intimately knows the teachings of Jesus. And a lot of people uh, have, have looked at, at what is written in this book of James and have said that this is really James' take on what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. His interpretation of what, what would an early Christian do with uh, the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew's chapters 5. Uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It has also been likened to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. These generally true sage sayings with great advice uh, throughout. There is definitely some proverbness in James that can make us a bit uneasy. Uh, sometimes encouragement and uneasiness are in close proximity to each other. And what we are about to hear is potentially in that category for me. So listen and pay attention to what is encouraging and what is challenging in, in really what is a very succinct uh, passage of Scripture. This is James 1, beginning at verse 5. It says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Those who doubt should not think they will receive anything from the Lord, for they are double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, in my opinion... It's a great back-to-school text. If you need wisdom, ask God. Okay? That's good news for those of you that are going to have midterms in two or three weeks. But when we get to verse 6, there are these words on faith and words on doubt. And that's what I want to talk a little bit uh, and, and to see if we might see how these words are connected to the, the word that we brought up earlier with maybe. Okay. So what James is laying out here is contrasting faith and doubt. What is faith? Okay, there's, there's a lot that we could say about this. In fact, a few years ago, uh, we did a series where we, we really looked at the question of faith and the question uh, of doubt. But for the purposes of tonight, I want, to, I want to assert that faith is a dynamic experience of trust and for our purposes, a dynamic experience of trust in Jesus 
in all circumstances. Okay, we don't want it to be a, a faith that is circumstantial is really very little faith at all. And so the encouragement that James is giving us here is to trust. A dynamic experience of trust over and above certainty. Now, in the culture that we live in, this can sometimes be very difficult. Uh, a culture that, that can be largely dominated by science, uh, largely dominated by statements that, in essence, say, show me the evidence. Prove it. Okay? That's when the words like faith and trust can make us a little bit uncomfortable. But the reality is that if we are going to know God, if we are going to follow Jesus, there's no way to take faith out of the equation. A few years ago, in fact, as we were preparing that that series uh, that I mentioned earlier, Janie shared a great quote uh, with me from essayist Anne Lamont. Some of you have probably seen some of her books out there. But she has this great quote that says, you know, kind of her interpretation of the Christian faith in in one sense is to say that, that God has not called us to certainty. God has called us to faith. But so often we want certainty. But in this dynamic experience that we all live in, that certainty is more or less unattainable. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to attend this lecture from this renowned economist named Robert Schiller. Okay, he, he has this thing, perhaps some of you have heard of it, called the Case-Schiller Housing Price Index. Okay, this is a guy who has dedicated his life to coming up with these formulas and systems that can make predictions about what will happen to economies uh, at home and all over the world. This is a guy who, when he speaks, whenever he reports, it influences markets all over the world. But what was so interesting for somebody that has spent his life creating models based on evidences and equations that that have repeated themselves and, and proven to be true so often in the time, he finishes his lecture by saying, when push comes to shove, I have very little faith in these models. Uh, I, I have very little confidence because of the human factor. Ultimately, humans are unpredictable, they're irrational, and incredibly emotional, and for those things, there is no equation. Every equation that I have come up with would be based on a standard behavior, but most of the time, there's no such thing as that. So what what do I bring that up to say? That here's somebody who has spent their life trying to find science and models and evidence saying, this is the way it is. And he says, when push comes to shove, I don't really think that I can stand on this. We have been called to faith, not certainty. We can't be certain really about anything that we might see in this world. The idea of certainty is a myth. So we come back to this question of trust. In order for you to function in the world that we live in, there is always going to be a degree of faith, a dynamic experience of trust in all circumstances 
that will be required. Now, the problem is that we, we also live in a place, as, we've already, as I've already kind of laid out here, where there are so many options that can fill us with anxiety. Where we can feel like, okay, I know this or I feel something about this, but uh, in part, it seems often that the task of marketing, in some cases, is to make a potential buyer feel inadequate about themselves, such that they might need to buy something. The place where this is most true would be inquiring about gym memberships. Okay? Go in there and they will be like, you know, kind of give you the, so, what are your goals? You know, what, what would you like to improve about yourself? It's like, well, you know, I mean, I, mean, I, I thought I was rolling pretty well in this. Do you think there's a problem? And they will, fi- they will subsequently cover you in anxiety about all the things that you would need to change. So there, there are all these options. There's these people saying, cover your inadequacy by doing this or by doing that. All sorts of, of options about this. And so this is where we get to doubt. Wow, do I need this workout plan? Do I need this new pair of shoes? Will it Will it help me get to the place that I think I may be able to go? You see, doubt is this. If we talked about faith as a dynamic experience of trust, doubt, if we were to take it right out of the the Greek context that this word is translated from, a great way to understand this word doubt would be to endlessly divide. Okay, what am I talking about there? To endlessly divide is when you, uh, perhaps you've experienced this, when you make a decision about something and then you continue, you continually evaluate it or reevaluate it. Even worse, you don't make a decision about something and you continue to evaluate it and reevaluate it and reevaluate it. I gotta make the right decision. I gotta make the right decision. If I don't, I'm hosed. I gotta make the right decision. And thus you're paralyzed. You never land. I hear that as students are trying to make decisions about majors. I hear it as you're making decisions about dating and romance. I hear it as you're trying to make decisions about what you're supposed to do for the summer. It's not something as as pithy or trite as coffee. They're, They're big decisions, and I have a great empathy for that. But they're decisions that come out of an abundance of resources. It, it was interesting, a few years ago, in, um, in an article in the New York Times, uh, there was this, this article that talked about this phenomenon of decision fatigue. And so often I feel like this is what I, what I observe in the culture, certainly with college students. Listen to this. This article noted that the more choices you make throughout the day, the harder each one becomes for your brain. And eventually it looks for shortcuts usually in either of two different ways. One shortcut is to become reckless, to act impulsively instead of expending energy to think through the consequences. Okay, perhaps you've experienced this yourself or or somebody that lives in your house. Oh, this would be an awesome picture to upload onto Instagram, okay? And it will get you fired the next day. Okay, the other shortcut, and this is the one that I think I see more often than that, 
certainly the one I'm tempted to myself, is the ultimate energy saver. And that is to do nothing. Instead of agonizing over decisions, avoid a choice. Ducking a decision often creates bigger problems in the long run, but in the moment, it eases the mental strain. James brings up doubt. Faith and trust, doubt, double-mindedness. Now, while there is no, while there is no doubt that we will doubt, okay, I think that there are ways to contain the doubt. You can't stop the doubt, but you can contain it. How do we do that? Okay, and the, the imperative for this is that we need to quit being so tired because of the options around us. I think it's impacting the decisions, or I think, rather, I think it's impacting your friendships. I think it's impacting the depth that you can find and how you can know God. And so a change needs to be made. What's that change? I think James gives us a few things here. One is to pray. That's what he says right in that first thing that we read in verse 5. Pray. If you're lacking wisdom, pray. Now, I stand before you as as someone who is a pastor, I just finished my Master's of Divinity, and I can tell you that I suck at this. Okay, so, so I join you in saying, what would it look like for us as a community to take seriously this invitation to pray? And by that, I, by that I mean making prayer more than a meditative pros and cons list. What if we prayed for wisdom and listened for wisdom and responded that way? My confession is that I need to stay in that place more. Often when confronted with these, with these decisions, I don't pray well. So pray. The second would be this. Brings us back to our word. How about eliminate maybe? What would it look like to take maybe out of your vocabulary? Jesus, the brother of James, in the Sermon on the Mount, is very clear in saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. There's no maybe involved in this, sta- in this statement. What am I talking about? I'm talking about when you get that Evite or when you get a Facebook invitation. Um, so often what will happen is that that invitation will sit there. You know you're not going to go, but you don't respond no. Okay, and maybe you've got several invitations for the same day and they just sit there and they just sit there. Um, and people are going, hmm, you know, I wonder if so-and-so is going to show. There's no commitment involved in it, and you let that go because you're keeping your options open. What if something better comes up? Okay, I'm here to tell you that if I've described you in that, your friends do talk behind your back, 
and they do notice that this is what you do. Wow. I invite this person to everything and they, they never show up. Um, I invite this person and they say, maybe they will show up, but they never do. Okay, why, why do we do this? Um, well, of course, because we don't want people to feel bad. We're worried that if I say no, this person's going to feel bad. And who knows, maybe I will get to go. Maybe something will work out on my schedule that I could. So I'm just not going to deal with it right now. So, so now we're in this place of having done nothing. And then, you, you know, perhaps innocently you forget about it and, and, and we move on. Um, it's toxic to relationships and it doesn't demonstrate commitment. By virtue of the fact that you're keeping your options open, um, I want to I want to argue that it, it demonstrates a lack of trust. Uh, per, certainly in the relationship um, that that is there, but also in in this abiding sense that God has something good in mind for you. Okay, now I don't want to reduce this to merely something you might have in in an evite or a Facebook group or something like that. Um, but what does it look like for us to, and this would probably be my final point, to trust God? The first verse that we read here said that, that pray to God for wisdom and God will give it to you. God will deliver that. Do we remember that the character of God is one that says, yes, I can. Yes, I will. We put so much pressure on ourselves to make the right decision that it becomes all about us. And we, we forget that God is actually for us in this. Or perhaps even worse, and I, I promise you there's people in this room that think this way. I certainly have thought about it this way in my life, where you think that, oh my gosh, if I don't make the right decision, God is going to be pissed. If I don't make the right decision, God will forsake me, will smite me. And I'm here to tell you that the James that Jesus introduces, the, the Jesus that James introduces us to, is not that Jesus. Rather, Jesus is one who says, yes, I will give. So pray. And pray in faith. A dynamic sense of trust that this will happen. Look, I understand that we want to make the right decisions. We don't want to hurt people. Sometimes when there's those, those, those difficult things, we just want it to go away. So we do nothing with it. Let's commit to trusting God and to doing so prayerfully. Eliminating maybe and replacing maybe with a yes that is yes, a no that is no. What that ultimately equals is commitment. And the sign of of why we can trust this is the cross. The cross is the symbol that Jesus Christ, even in our lack of commitment, has committed to us. 
even in the ways that you are one foot in and one foot out, that we are one foot in, one foot out, Jesus says, I'm committed to you. There's no maybe in the cross. It's decisive. And and so in our struggle to commit, let us draw near to the one who has committed that we might learn from that one who has committed to us. That we might be people who are no longer worn out by options, but who trust that, that we can be decisive and trust that God, even if we make bad decisions, that God is big enough to redeem it. Perhaps this is the year that you put that to the test. I challenge you to do so. Why? Because Jesus Christ has committed to you. And we're reminded of that because of the cross. Let us pray. Lord, for the ways that you, you have loved us, that you have flat out committed to us, uh, Lord, we don't get it. We're grateful And so, Lord, uh, help us to get that. And as we do, may we be people who demonstrate your commitment to them uh, in a world of so many options. Uh, So, Lord, empower us um, to be salt and light as this school year starts. Uh, Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in all the places that we head off to and the places we live. Uh, and certainly on our campuses. Lord, have your way in us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.